So good to be home and worshiping with you and hearing your voices as you lift up the name of Jesus and sing to him. And um, I'm excited for Dr. Thomas White, the president of Cedarville University, who's here to speak to us, to speak to you because you're an awesome group to speak to because you're always hungry and ready to receive the word, to hear the word and receive it and to apply it to your hearts and lives. You know, I, I believe with all my heart, you guys, that though it's really hard in this world that we're living in today and the uncertainty of the future, I don't believe there's a greater time to be alive in the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus Christ and for the kingdom of Jesus Christ than right now. There are some exciting things that are going to be happening. They might be a little scary. They might be a little confusing, but there are some very exciting days ahead of us as we see the Lord, the day of the Lord, the return of the Lord approaching, and I believe it's approaching quickly. So more than ever, it's important for us to have institutions like Cedarville University over in Ohio that is raising up. They're committed. In fact, their theme that has been for... I don't even remember how long. How long has the college been going? Since 1887. Okay, since 1887, they have as their theme for the glory, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And they are, they are bringing up the young minds of the next generation of kingdom leaders and kingdom warriors in order to be equipped to go out and do the work of the ministry for the Lord as they learn. And so we're so thankful for them. We as a church have partnered with Cedarville for decades. Um, several pastors before me have, have, have been in great partnership with Cedarville University. Right now we have five students that are there attending the school. Um, I'm just curious, any of you Cedarville grads that are sitting in here? Okay, we've got a handful, yeah, several. What are you ashamed? They had to rate, you need to talk to her, Doc. Um, anyway, we're so grateful for, um, for the work that you're doing and the work that you're gonna continue to do. Uh, about a little over eight years ago, Dr. Thomas White came in a time when Cedarville really needed some help um, to get back to their foundational roots of uh, Christ and his word and the, and, um, and the glory of the Lord and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so um, they're doing a great work over there. They're going to continue that. So would you help me uh, welcome to the platform Dr. Thomas White again uh, to speak to us today. Thank you. It is an honor to be here with you this morning. I am going to walk through Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. So if you want to go ahead and Open up your Bibles, turn on your devices, whatever it is you need to do to get to Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. That's where we're going to spend our time walking through that. I do want to bring you greetings from Cedarville University in Ohio. We believe at Cedarville that God created the world in six literal 24-hour days, rested on the 7th. He didn't need six days to create the world. He could have done it in a moment if he wanted to, but he did it in six days for us. He had reasons for that. The whole Old Testament foreshadows the coming of Christ as the Savior. John the Baptist even says, flashing back all the way to Exodus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus lived that perfect life and then he went to the cross and he died in my place and for my sake as a penal substitutionary atonement for me and for all of you so that by grace through faith we could be saved. He went to the grave. He was in that grave and he got up out of that grave and they rolled the stone away so that we could see. We, he didn't need the stone rolled away so he could get up. It was so we could see that he's not in the grave and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he is coming again. 
And if you believe that, it changes everything. It changes every class. It changes the way we do things on campus. It changes the way for all of us that we worship a risen Savior, that we live our lives with hope. And I'm here to tell you that in the world I live in, there are competing worldviews. There are worldviews that are clashing with one another. Just a, a week or so ago, in the Wall Street Journal, there was an op-ed written to where they said any university teaching from a creation perspective should not really have any of their science credentialed or accredited, questioning whether that was even a legitimate opinion, a legitimate worldview, as creation and evolution collide and all the other aspects of the world's views are colliding. And today, as we look at Philippians chapter 3, you're going to see two very different ways to walk. You're going to see one group that walks as Paul and as Paul has written about Christ, and you're going to see another that walks as enemies of the cross of Christ. And there are worldviews that are clashing, that are hitting each other. And I hope you understand that a lot of the issues we see so differently today in our culture is because we have fundamental different presuppositions that we bring to the table. And the presupposition that I bring to the table is that this is God's word and it is true and he wrote it through men moved by the Holy Spirit. God breathed as though it's the very words of God to reveal to us who we are and who he is and what this world's all about and how it all comes out. And that presupposition leads to a very different place than if you believe in evolution and you believe we just evolved from some quagmire or some single cell or something of that nature. I've titled the sermon series that I'm doing over Cedarville through Philippians, No Jesus, No Joy. It's a play on words. Because I genuinely believe if you know, K-N-O-W, Jesus, then you can know joy even in the midst of a global pandemic, even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of everything that's going on. Because let's face it, all we've learned from the past year is that we are not in charge. We do not have control or know what the future holds. And so Jesus is the one that brings me my joy. I'm not in charge. I don't have to be in charge. I don't need to worry about being in charge. He's in charge. But now if you don't have that worldview and you have no Jesus, N-O, Jesus, then you have no genuine joy. The pandemic happens. Chaos occurs. They tell us half the world maybe is going to die. They tell us it's going to be a catastrophe, and this life is all you have and all you know. What do you do? How do you react? The despair that sets in, the uncertainty that sets in, all of this that sets in. If that's you, if that's where you are and you don't have Jesus and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to know right here, right now, that today you can do that. We'll talk about that more. And you can have genuine joy in the midst of uncertainty. I may not know, what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I can have joy this morning because I know Jesus. Our main idea for today is going to be watch and imitate godly examples while maintaining an eternal perspective. You're going to see this clearly in our text as we read through the text. Watch. It's an imperative that Paul will give us and imitate another imperative. That means it's a command. So that means we are commanded and he's commanding through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing the letter of Philippians to Philippi, but to us also as well, that we are to watch and that we are to imitate godly examples like Paul and like those godly examples we have in them. And then later on, he's gonna tell us that we are to maintain an eternal perspective because we are citizens of heaven 
We do not have our mindset on this earth. I've got two points for you that we're gonna walk through this text in, 17 through 21. Our first point is gonna be on your eyes. Your eyes. Who are you watching? 17 through 21. And then we're gonna focus on your mind. What are you thinking? Verses 20 and 21. Two different points that we're gonna walk through. Let's read our text, Philippians chapter three, beginning verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our first point, your eyes. Who are you watching? Verses 17 through 19. Look at what the text says here for us. Verse 17, it starts off, brothers. So it's saying to his brothers and sisters, all of us who are fellow believers in Christ, he's writing to them. He's saying, brothers and sisters, he's saying, join in imitating me, imitating. It's a command. He wants you to imitate him. Now you have to understand the context of what he's writing. Paul has already told us, he has has said, I don't believe that I am perfect yet, but I'm striving forward. I don't believe that I have attained yet. But he says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which lie behind, I'm straining forward as though that runner is pushing for that finish line. He's straining forward. It says he's pressing on, an athletic analogy, I'm pressing on to lay hold of the prize for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of him. He says, I'm pursuing that prize. And now after he talks about pursuing that prize, his eyes set on Jesus, running and pushing forward to Jesus. He looks and he writes and he says, brothers, imitate me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, us plural. So he's talking about Timothy, he's talking about Epaphroditus, but he's ultimately talking about Jesus. Jesus in Philippians chapter two, where he says, have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, the one who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He was humble. He gave himself up with a perspective for others, coming in the form of a man, being found in the likeness of man. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Paul's saying, I'm following that. I'm following that humble perspective that serves others and loves others and gives himself up for others. And he's following that with all he has. He is straining forward as that runner crossing that finish line, throwing the chest out to be first across that line. Everything we have, not looking back, not looking at the past, looking forward to what's ahead. And he says, brothers and sisters, follow me. He says it in another book where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He's commanding us, imitate, keep your eyes on. So who are you watching? Are your eyes on the people of this world? Because the people of this world that get promoted and highlighted and put on TV and or the celebrities often don't act like Jesus with a humility and a self-sacrifice They don't give themselves up for others. It's all about the glory for them, not the glory for God. 
He says, watch and imitate those you have like us who are examples. That word examples in the Greek is tupos. You might hear in there the word type. Anybody in the room still on a typewriter? Nobody? I don't see any hands, one hand in the back, maybe. All right, typewriter. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. Just bear with me. There were these old devices where you would hit a button and the buttons like your keyboard now, it had a letter on it. When you hit that letter, there was a metal rod that would throw forward. And every time you hit that letter, it would throw forward that same one. And it was a type. It was, if you press T, because my name's Thomas, you press T. Every time it hit, it would throw a T. And that T would go into the ink and it would put it on a paper. You couldn't delete it. You couldn't backspace. You couldn't save it. You, could, you just hit it. And all it would do, type. Your coins, a quarter. They, they have a machine, and this word actually talked about how you would have an, a machine that would imprint the image on that coin. Every time you see a quarter, you know it's a quarter because it's a quarter. You know what a quarter looks like. You know what a quarter feels like. If you feel a Susan B. Anthony dollar or something, and you go, well, there's something different here. This kind of looks like a quarter, but it's not a quarter because it has a different image on it. It weighs a little bit. It's a little bit different size. This is different. This is not right. A type. So I ask you the question, who are you watching? And I also ask you the question, are you serving as the example? Are you following Christ? Are you the type of Christians that others could look to or imitate? And you may say, well, I'm not there yet. Well, Paul's already told us he's not there yet either. He's not perfect. He hasn't already attained to this, but he's striving forward. And we are called, brothers and sisters, to all of us strive forward, pursuing Christ. And we are called to keep our eyes and watch those and imitate those who are a little farther along in the than we are, who may be a few feet ahead of us if we're running a distance race. They may be 25 yards ahead. We're called to imitate and look at, and there's somebody that's behind us 25 yards or 10 steps or a year or two, and they should be able to look forward to us and see that we are imitating, we are pushing, we are focused on being like Christ. Now, how do you know who to follow? If you're not in this word, you might get sidetracked by somebody that talks a really good game, but that's prideful and arrogant and not representing this book or has bad theology or is selling you a bill of goods. And, and this person, you got to know the word. So you have to be in the word. You have to be striving to learn more about Christ, to be more like Christ. And as you're in the word and you're digging deep in the word and you see somebody, you go, it looks, they've got some godly wisdom. I want to, I want a little bit of that. I want to be like that. I want to follow that. And as you're pursuing Christ and you're seeing that right example, be that example for somebody else. But you can't do that if you're never even studying the word. You don't know what it says you're supposed to be like or what they're supposed to be like. Imitate and look at those you have for an example, like Paul, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, like all of those who are in the New Testament and the Old Testament, you're following them. Well, not all of those. Like the ones who are doing it right. There's some in there that are in there for bad examples. I shouldn't have said all. Scratch that. Move on. All right. So who are you watching? Look at what it says. I got wound up on that point. I apologize. I'm not even close to through with that point either. It says, for many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, Walk, there's the word walk again. So, so what I would tell my students at school is if you see a word repeated, you circle it because that means it has importance. It, you don't write the same word, especially when you're writing on papyrus and you're writing, you, you don't write it just to write it. 
It's not that that's just one of your favorite words. There's an intentionality here, and you see the walk, and he's, what he's telling them is he's saying, you have us for an example, walk like us, but I'm telling you of others, even with tears, there's a point to be made there too, who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, we often talk about our enemies as though they are the enemy. We look at another human being and we think in our minds, they are our enemy. I want to say to you this morning, the devil is the enemy. The prince of the power of this air, he's the enemy. It's not the people. As we talk about those being enemies of the cross of Christ, it should break our heart to know that their end is destruction. They need the gospel. The same God that saved me, a wretch who was a rebel against my own creator, can save them, a wretch against their own creator. We should with tears be talking about the enemies of the cross of Christ. We don't spike the spiritual football in the end zone. We don't walk around looking down our nose just because we've received grace that they haven't received yet and mercy that they haven't found yet. We are the one beggar telling another beggar, here's how you find food. And that's all we're supposed to do. We don't have an arrogance. We have a humility that says, oh, my heart breaks for you. You have a wrong worldview. You don't understand this. Let me share the good news with you of the gospel of Christ. But here's how they walk. Enemies of the cross of Christ. So maybe you're here this morning and you're just here because mom and dad made you come or somebody else made you come or you're watching online and you don't even know why. The Bible's real clear. The enemies of the cross of Christ. Look what it says in the text. Their end is destruction. So, so with a broken heart and with tears, I tell you, if you're an enemy of the cross of Christ, your end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their mind set on earthly things. Those characteristics, they're horrible. But we see it, we see it all the time. Enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their bellies. And what does that mean? The belly is like the seat of passions in the Bible when it talks about it. So it's not just talking about hunger, although it could be talking about hunger. It's talking about other fleshly desires, other portions of the flesh. We have a sin nature from Adam and Eve. When they fell, everybody after them, all humanity is born in Adam. We have a sin nature. Once we are saved, we're then in Christ. And so even as we're in Christ, Paul talks about Romans 7, Romans 8, about the flesh that is the temptation that draws us to do things that are not good, not right, not godly. And he tells us that we are to war against the flesh. It tells us that through the power of the Spirit, we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We all have that temptation. We all feel that. The Bible tells us our hearts deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And so so we understand that there is a pull even for the believer to follow those fleshly desires. And it says for those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, well, their God, their idol is their bellies. It's all of those temptations. It's all of those desires. It's all of those things. And we feel that we still understand that draw to put those things in the wrong spot where God goes. When I think about their God is their bellies, it, my favorite, favorite things are like cheeseburgers, and milkshakes. And milkshakes. I, this past year, we did something that was both great and bad. We, we put in the world's largest Chick-fil-A on campus at Cedarville University. It, it holds over 300 people inside. Like this thing is huge. And I get to eat there for free. 
I don't know if it's a good thing or not. So the first week of the semester, last semester, I had eight milkshakes in one week. <laughs> cookies and cream. I like chocolate too. But Chick-fil-A cookies and cream milkshakes with a spicy chicken sandwich and some waffle fries hot right out of, they've got to be hot. If they're not hot, you don't know what a waffle fry is. It's got to be right out and then right in your mouth where it, just, where it hurts a little bit because it's still so hot. And it's got that crispy. And then you cool it off with that cookies and cream milkshake. Oh, we're all getting hungry. But Chick-fil-A's closed. We're in trouble. It's going to be a long day. I know where I'm going tomorrow. We'll put it that way. I feel it. We feel the pull. And so even as we look at the enemies of the cross of Christ and we see all of the fleshly desires, all of them, think about them all. We don't look at them and go, how dumb are you? We look at them and we go, oh, I have felt the pull of the flesh. I still feel the pull of my own sinful nature, my fleshly desires pulling me away from the God that I love. Oh, but let me tell you about a Holy Spirit and the word that can free you from that slavery to your own sin that you're in bondage to, that you cannot escape. There is freedom from that. With tears in our eyes, enemies of the cross of Christ. God is their belly and they glory in their shame over here doing all sorts of stuff and they're proud of it and we're like come on there's freedom there's grace there's mercy in the cross doesn't matter how bad you are you cannot sin so bad that God's grace is not deep enough to forgive you They have their mind set on earthly things. That's a worldview. Your presuppositions where your mind is set that affects how you see everything. There's a transition here. As it transitions, he talks about another way to have your mind set. He says here in verse 19, their mind's set on earthly things. Verse 20, he says, but, now there's, a, there's a contrast here. You see, he's setting up the contrast with the word but. So this is them. This is how they walk. But our citizenship is in heaven. Now, now you can't miss what he's doing here. I got to take just a second to explain this. I'm, I'm going to geek out a little bit on history and, and English and language and all that type of stuff. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. So Paul is writing to Philippi. Philippi is a colony of Rome. They took their orders from Rome. Being a colony of Rome, they served Caesar, who at that time they would have called the Savior. They would have called Caesar the Lord. So this language that he's using here is intentional language to go and undermine the fact to say Caesar is not Lord. There is one Lord. That Lord is the Savior, Jesus Christ. All intentional language, citizenship, Lord and Savior. He's doing all this on purpose. And he's saying, but our citizenship, it's not in Rome. It's in heaven. Our citizenship is not of this earth. Our citizenship is of heaven. That means something. That means the orders that I receive as how to live my life, they come from where my citizenship is. My citizenship is in heaven. My orders come from the book. It comes from God's revelation to tell me how I'm supposed to live. So sure, I can obey whatever other place I'm a citizen of, but my ultimate citizenship comes from here, and this is what I ultimately obey. Oh, a very different worldview. 
Am I living for this temporal space and building some kingdom here? Or am I living for a kingdom that's going to last forever? Am I a citizen of the most high king? Am I a citizen of the one that he says here, our citizenships of heaven? And from it, we await. Some of your translations say eagerly await. The, the image there is you're on tiptoes. You're peering up over somebody to see what's coming. I, I got to see. Let me see what the action is. We're eagerly awaiting. And what are we awaiting? We are awaiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one else we're awaiting. We're not awaiting anybody from this earth to come save us. We're not awaiting anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There is no other name under heaven by which you will be saved. Here's what he says. Verse 21. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back? He's going to transform this lowly body. Now, now, don't misunderstand this. This is not creating some dualism and saying that the body is bad and the body is evil and you have to escape the body. What this is doing is it's saying we recognize that these bodies, they're clay pots. They're earthen vessels we have a treasure in a clay pot. We have a treasure in an earthen vessel. And these bodies are frail. And the older you get, the more frail they get and the more things that go wrong with them. These bodies are not what we long for. And he's gonna transform this lowly body to be like his glorious body. And he's gonna do that by the power that he has that nobody else has that is even able to subject all things to himself. So don't miss this. If you're in the room right now or if you're watching online right now and you're in despair and you are scared half to death and you don't know what's going to happen and there's complete uncertainty and you just don't know how in the world you're going to live or what's going to take place or how it all ends, I can't tell you what's going to happen the next year. I can tell you this, we don't know because last year at this time, we never would have guessed that this year was going to look like what it looked like. Nobody ever predicted all of the things that are going to happen. But I can tell you this, one day there's coming a Savior and I am eagerly awaiting that coming Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to transform this body that is prone to sin against him, prone to flee the one I love. He's going to transform this world with all of its injustice. He's going to transform this world with all of its brokenness. And he's going to make everything new. And he's going to set all things right because he has the power. So my hope is not set in this world or in me or in all these earthly matters. My my hope is set on the king, the king that is coming, the savior that I'm eagerly awaiting. So no Jesus, no joy. If I K-N-O-W, no Jesus, it doesn't matter what's happening on this earth. I can know joy. We're gonna persecute you. All right, you persecuted my Lord. Should I expect any more than what he went through? We're gonna kill you. Bring it on. Because all you're going to do at that point is put me with my Savior. This lowly body, no more. Glorious body awaits in heaven for all eternity. You know, I was reading New Morning Mercies the other morning. When I was reading it, it was talking about how every time we have a disappointment in this life, it's crying out saying that there's something more that we're longing for. 
that disappointment of a relationship says this is not perfect. There's something better ahead. That disappointment or pain of, a, of an ailment in our bodies that just don't work like they're supposed to again. And we long for that youth that has passed us by is a longing for something that's more. An injustice we see in the world that brings us pain. A death that happens in the world that brings us pain. That longing is a longing that God has placed in us to say this is not the way it should be. We are longing for more. And I'm here to tell you this day, right now, if you know Jesus, you know that that longing is going to be fulfilled one day and we are pilgrims passing through this earth. This is not our home. We one day will be with him forever in eternity. Amen. So I've got two points of application for you. Number one, be wise. Be wise about who influences you. Your eyes, watch. Who are you watching? Good examples, bad examples. What, what are you putting in your mind? What, what are you allowing your eyes to see? It's going into your thought process. Be wise about who influences you. That's why a local church is so important. It's why discipleship is so important. It's why having people that you can be real with and talk to about real things is so important. It's why looking forward to somebody a little farther along and being able to ask them real questions is so important. It's why being there for somebody a few steps behind and being able to answer questions is so important. Number two on that application list is an eternal perspective. We're citizens of heaven. We don't have our minds set on earthly things, so we have an eternal perspective. And that changes what you think and how you react. So life doesn't go my way. Something bad happens. If this life is all there is, and my mind is set on earthly things, I am completely devastated. Because it didn't turn out like I thought it ought to turn out. And I can't change it. But wait. If this life is 70 years, 80 by strength, as Psalm says, 70 or 80 years, oh, but there's eternity to wait. You see how that changes my perspective of what just happened in my life? And I know you can do this. I see it all the time. I live on a college campus. Every year, I watch people bring in carloads full of stuff to put them in their dorm rooms, and some of them even bring U-Hauls behind them, and I just laugh knowing it's not gonna fit. You're just gonna take all that stuff back. Because we put one center in the room with another center in really close quarters, and we call that discipleship because that's just the way it works, right? And, and they bring stuff, and they put it in the room, but they don't bring it all. In fact, you all know this because some of you still have stuff at mom and dad's house in the basement because you still haven't cleaned it out. You don't bring it all. You leave it home because you know I'm not staying here for life. I only need what I need for the semester. And then when the summer comes, I'm going to move back home and take it all out. So I only bring the essentials. Now, what if we lived life like a student lives in a dorm room? I don't need all this stuff because this is not my home. All this stuff that I've been given, all these things that I have, it's not about that. It's about using that for eternity. It's about using that for God's mission. It's about using all this stuff because there's a place. There is a place where the moth, moth won't destroy and rust won't corrupt. There's a place where my treasure is secure, and it's not this place. 
So all the things I've got in this place are to be used for another place. All the gifts, all the time, all the talents, all the treasure, I'm using all of that with an eternal perspective. You see how that changes life. What are you living for? Mindset on earthly things. Eyes are belly. Enemies of the cross of Christ. Glorying in their shame. Oh, but the end of that walk is destruction. Citizenship's in heaven. Mindset on heavenly things. God is our God. We are not allowing our bellies to be our God. By the power of the Spirit and through his word, we fight against the flesh and we put to death the deeds of the flesh. And whatever happens to me in this life, so be it. Because there is a heaven awaiting. It changes everything. Death. You lose somebody in death. I just remember back to losing my grandfather who was a pastor. Preached the word. You see this lifeless body laying in a casket. That's not grandpa. That's just some earthly vessel that was old and wrinkly. Where's grandpa? Grandpa's with Jesus. And one day, I will see grandpa again. And so I mourn because I can't go to breakfast with grandpa anymore. And I can't ride in grandpa's yellow doodlebug or punch buggy or Volkswagen Beetle or whatever you call it. I can't do those things anymore. But one day, I can worship King Jesus with grandpa again. So we mourn, but not as those without hope. Brothers and sisters, how you walk matters. Do you walk as an enemy of the cross of Christ? Or do you walk following those examples you have in Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and ultimately Jesus? What are you doing? I don't, I don't usually read things to people, but as I was studying for this message, I came across James Montgomery Boyce's commentary on Philippians, and he just had an illustration that I just, I just have to share with you. It was the year 1899. Two famous men died in America. One was an unbeliever who had made a career of debunking the Bible and arguing against Christian doctrines. The other was a Christian. First, Colonel Ingersoll, after whom the famous Ingersoll lectures on immortality at Harvard University are named, was the unbeliever. His death was sudden. It came as an unmitigated shock to his family. His body was kept in the home for several days because Ingersoll's wife could not bear to part with it. It was finally removed only because the corpse was decaying and the health of the family required it. At length, the remains were cremated. And the display at the crematorium was so dismal that some of the scene was even picked up by the newspapers and communicated to the nation at large. Ingersoll had used his great intellect to deny the resurrection. When death came, there was no hope. And the departure was received by friends and family as an uncompensated tragedy. In that same year, the evangelist Dwight L. Moody died. And his death was triumphant for himself and his family. Moody had been declining for some time and his family had taken turns being with him. On the morning of his death, his son, who was standing by his bedside, heard him exclaim, quote, Earth is receding. Heaven is opening. God is calling. End quote. You're dreaming, Father, his son said. Moody answered, quote, no, Will, this is no dream. 
for I have been within the gates. I have seen the children's faces, end quote. For a while, it seemed as though Moody was reviving, but he began to slip away again. He said, is this death? This is not bad. There is no valley. This is bliss. This is glorious. By this time, his daughter was present. And she began to pray for his recovery. And he said, quote, No, Emma, don't pray for that. God is calling. This is my coronation day. I have been looking forward to it. End quote. Shortly after that, Moody was received into heaven. At the funeral, his family and his friends joined in a joyful service. They spoke and they sang hymns. They heard the words proclaimed, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57. Moody's death was part of that victory. Which way are you walking? Enemies of the cross of Christ? Citizens of heaven? Dear God, I pray that if there be anyone here today doesn't know you and your grace and your forgiveness that today would be the day of salvation and God I pray for all of us that are citizens of heaven that Lord you would help us to have joy unspeakable found only in you and to live this life with an eternal perspective and an eye towards heaven and our minds set on Christ it's in Jesus name I pray Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Thank you for making it clear for us. Here's how we're going to end. Let's go all stand together. Let's just go ahead and stand. And um, the band's going to come. They're going to fire up the song, Just As I Am. And everyone's going to come forward. You good with that? You know, that was, that's what this kind of message is all about. It speaks to every single one of us. Um, I actually, thank you very much, I'm convicted something different in the second service than I was in the first service. Now I got more things to work on. But you know what's awesome about God? They, also, they always say God is the God of second chances, and praise the Lord, he is. But I think God's the God of endless adjustment. What God wants from us is he wants us to, every time we hear the word, make adjustments in our lives to grow in the strength and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been given that today, the opportunity for that today. So um, my prayer all morning has been for me and for you that God would give us the humility and the courage and strength to make the proper adjustments that he has spoken to us to make. And I pray that you will make those adjustments in your life as you go out to impact our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the way that we live. 
But I, I want to say this as we do and we end every service, that we have a prayer team up here in the front. And you might be in a situation where you need some extra prayer for the, the adjustment you're trying to make in your life or you um, are confused about some things and you'd like to speak to somebody about that. Or hear me, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we can help you with that and we want to help you find Jesus today. Today is a day of salvation for you if you are not in Christ. So let us help you with that. If you're online and you have these spiritual needs that I'm talking to, would you please just reach out to us? Our prayer team is available to you also, and we would love to help you in any way that we can. But um, so take advantage of that, okay? Our prayer team members are probably on their way up here right now uh, to receive you. I just want to um, have you go in the, in the blessing of the Lord and in the strength of the Lord and the love of Jesus Christ. As you go, share the love with each other as you go out and then take it out into our world, okay? God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining our worship service online today. Our prayer is that the worship and teaching will inspire you to love God, love others, and influence the world for Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, we'd love to know about it. You can click on the link for our online connection card. If you haven't yet, you can download our church app and you can see more opportunities and messages and even share this message with a friend. And go to our website, fbclcart.org, for even more opportunities. We hope to see you back here next Sunday morning at FBC Elkhart.